The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Okay, Psalm 124, a song of ascents of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. When their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as a prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. A lot of people in Israel don't believe that right now, but uh, they're hopefully coming to that realization. There's a lot of messianics there and some of them are out in the, the Sergio can tell you about them. They're out in the war zone right now. And hopefully while they're out there with their buddies, they're telling them about their hope in Jesus. Yes. Okay, so keep that in prayer. Uh, we're in Judges 2, verses 16 through 23. And this is entitled, The Lord Was Moved to Pity. <clears throat> Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked. In obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers. Is anybody seeing yourself in this? By following other gods to serve them and bow down to them, they did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, Because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not heeded my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left them when he died, so that through them I may test Israel whether they will keep the ways of the Lord." to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore, the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. In past sermons, we have highlighted the literary form known as a chiasm. That is a device where a series of thoughts is presented in one order. There is then usually an anchor, a main verse on which the chiasm turns, and after that anchor, the text turns around and says the same thing in reverse, repeating each thought or each previous thought as it goes. Such a device helps explain what is going on and why things are happening in the greater story being presented. Another useful tool the Bible employs is called parallelism. This device uses successive verbal constructions in the text that are parallel such as grammatical structure, meter, meaning, sound, and so on. The passage today uses parallelism between verses 16 and 17 and 18 and 19. The structure helps unlock the thought process being presented. Now, what I've done is I've given you an asterisk in verse 16 and an asterisk in verse 18. So it says the same thing. An asterisk, asterisk in verse 16, an asterisk, asterisk in verse 18 to show you the parallel. And so each one of those symbols I gave you is look at the one down below it. Compare them. Uh, with the X, there is no comparison, so I put an X instead of something there. So you see how it's going. Uh, and raised up Jehovah judges, verse 18, and four raised Jehovah to them judges, and was Jehovah with the judge. And then again in verse 16, and delivered them from hand their plunderers, and in verse 18, and delivered them from hand their enemies, all days the judge. And then there's nothing for X, but that's added in, which I won't read. And then verse 17 says, and also unto judges, no, listen. And in verse 19, it says, and it was in dying the judge 
they turned back and corrupted from their fathers, meaning they didn't listen. And then in verse 17, again, it says, for harloted after God's other and bowed down to them. And in 19, it says to walk after God's other to serve them and to bow down to them. And then we get into verse 17 again. Then they turned quickly, meaning rebellion, from the way which walked their fathers. And the comparable words in verse 19, no cast from their practices and from their way, the stubborn, meaning rebellion. And then finally, it says to listen commands Jehovah, no did thus. And there's not a uh, comparison on that one. So it just ends with verse 17. But you can see the parallelism. Our text verse comes from Psalm 42. It is verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? One can easily see the parallelism in the psalm I just read once the device is explained. The as so gives an immediate parallel thought. Likewise, thirsting for is set in parallel to coming and appearing. There's the desire in both. There are more parallels in the surrounding verses in Joshua chapter 2. For example, it says in verses 2.14 and 2.20, Vayichar af Yehovah be Yisrael, and burned nostril Yehovah in Israel. Following these similar words can help eliminate confusion, explaining what otherwise seems a giant heap of seemingly indiscernible thoughts that have no cohesion with one another. And quite often scholars will say something like that. This doesn't make any sense and he's repeating himself. There is a reason. And once you understand the device that is being used, it makes all the sense in the world. Chapter 2 of Judges is like a bridge between the book of Joshua and what lies ahead in the book of Judges. Things that appear to have been intentionally left out of Joshua are explained here. Things that will occur in Judges are first noted here. Paying heed to the connecting words and thoughts will help bring the narrative into its proper focus. As for the Christological typology, there's not a lot revealed in our verses today. Despite this, they definitely show us our need for a Savior. Whether Israel is shown to fail, we know that Jesus, the greater Israel, prevailed. The Bible is making a point about the world's need for a Messiah. Israel is being used to show us this. Such great truths as this are to be found in his superior word. So, let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got two main thoughts for you today. The first is the Lord raised up judges. It's verses 16 through 19. Verse 16, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges. Vayakum Yehovah Shoftim, and raised up Yehovah judges. It is a key thought in the book as it sets the pattern for what will occur throughout it. As the people are humbled or as they depart from the Lord, Yehovah will raise up a judge who will attend to the particular matter that has arisen. This is the first time that the word shoftim or judges is used in the book. The word comes from a primitive root meaning to judge. It has been seen in all of the books of the Bible so far, but this is the first time that it is used in the sense of a national hero filling the role designated by the Lord. For example, it says in Deuteronomy 16, the following, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, which the Lord your God gives you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with judgment. That is not the type of judge now being referred to in Judges. That was a person appointed by the people to handle matters of the law within the community itself. Those referred to now are appointed by the Lord and are filled with the necessary endowments to meet the particular situation that has arisen within the land. Think of Samson. He had certain skills and certain abilities that made him an ideal judge for that particular time and in that particular situation. Deborah, a woman, is given to lead Israel at a certain time, and being a woman, she has a certain endowment that allows her to lead in a way that a man would not have. So the Lord is choosing these people for his purposes and to accomplish what he needs to be accomplished for the people of Israel. Unlike a king, they serve under the Lord without any power to make their own laws. Also, Unlike a line of kings, there was no unbroken succession of judges. 
the Lord would raise up a hero, he would fulfill his time as the leader, and then someone else would eventually be selected as a judge to meet the next needs of the people. Of them, Jameson Fawcett Brown correctly states that a judge was usually accompanied by a special call, and the people seeing them endowed with extraordinary courage or strength accepted them as delegates of heaven and submitted to their sway. Frequently, they were appointed only for a particular district, and their authority extended no farther than over the people whose interests they were commissioned to protect. Now, you're going to see that in the next couple of judges. You've got Othniel, and then the guy after him is listed, Shamgar. You'll see what my argument for what they just said is. They were without pomp, equipage, or emollience attached to the office. They had no power to make laws, for these were given by God nor to explain them, for that was the province of the priests. But they were officially upholders of the law, defenders of religion, avengers of all crimes, especially of idolatry and its attendant vices. In this role and under the authority of the Lord, they are those, verse 16 continues, who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Rather, it reads, and delivered them from hand their plunderers. This thought will occasionally be seen throughout the book. The nation will turn from the Lord. He will allow them to be plundered. And when they cry out to him, he will send a judge to remedy their plight. An immediate example of everything thus far described is seen in the first judge to be named in the next chapter. Here's what it says in Judges 3. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherahs. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushon Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. Then the children of Israel served Cushon Rishathaim eight years. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel, who delivered them Othniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushon Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushon Rishathaim. So the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Canaz, died. Unfortunately, just as they failed to heed the Lord, they failed to heed the judges. Verse 17, yet they would not listen to their judges. Vegam el shoftim lo shame'u, and also unto judges no listen. The word listen signifies to hear and obey, like it does when we say, go to your room. You didn't listen to me. The people may have heard, but they did not attend to what they heard. Verse 17 continues, but they played the harlot with other gods. Kizanu achare Elohim acharim, for harloted after God's other. Throughout scripture, idolatry is considered as spiritual adultery. Israel was wed to the Lord, and they have turned from him. The judge was selected to bring the people's attention back to the Lord and what he had done or would do for the people. Despite that, they constantly fell into idolatry, turning away from him in turning to other gods. It next says, verse 17 continues, and bowed down to them. The words are in violation of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, Exodus 20, verse 3. Included in that thought, it also said, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. That's Exodus 20, verse 5. Rather than hearing and obeying, verse 17 continues, they turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. The word obeying is the same word just used in the first clause, meaning to listen and obey. The judge was given as the representative of the Lord. He would instruct the people in the way of their fathers. The law would be presented as it had been in times past, and yet no sooner had they heard than they turned away, failing to obey. Verse 17 going on, they did not do so. Lo asu ken, no did thus. These words set up what follows. In other words, this is a negative clause. The next verses will contain the word key, meaning for or when, which reiterates the sequence of events just presented. Verse 18, and when the Lord raised up judges for them, 
based on the negative clause that ended the last words, in this instance, the word key is more appropriately translated as for instead of when. It reads, Veki hakim Yehovah lahem shoftim, and for raised Yehovah to them judges. The word kum means to arise, to stand up, to stand. However, it carries with it the thought of establishment, as in, I will establish kum, my covenant with you. The Lord raises up kum, the judge from the people, and he causes him to stand as his representative in this capacity. Verse 18 continues, the Lord was with the judge. Rather, it says, and was Jehovah with the judge. The judge that was established before the Lord had the Lord with him. It wasn't just that the Lord put the guy in charge and let him run things. Instead, the judge represented the Lord, who is the leader of the people. In this capacity, it says, verse 18 continues, and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. The judge is the instrument by which the Lord accomplished the deliverance. Thus, it is not the judge who is to be credited for the deliverance. If one reads the narrative today, or if one talks about what occurred, this is often what is presented. Samson delivered Israel from the Philistines. Rather, it should read, the Lord delivered the Philistines by the hand of Samson. This is the proper way of considering what is presented throughout the book of Judges. He is the one who selects, directs, and empowers the judge to act. This is based on the next words. Verse 18 continues, For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning. Ki yinachem Yehovah mina'akatam, for size Yehovah, from their groaning. The word naham is variously translated here. Moved to mercy, repented, moved to pity, took pity, relented, and so on. It comes from a primitive root signifying to sigh. You can just see that Lord almost burned out by their actions as when one breathes heavily. This word is used to describe the action of the Lord. And yet elsewhere it says this, and this is an important point for you to understand what is going on in the Bible. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. That word, naham, has he said and will he not do? One could say then that there's a contradiction in scripture. Regardless of the translation, it says in Numbers that the Lord does not naham, and yet it says here in Judges 2 that he does naham. The matter has to be considered by the limitation of language and what gets lost in translation. Using the word naham while applying it to the Lord is a literary device known as an anthropomorphism, okay? It is taking human attributes and ascribing them to the Lord. God is spirit. He doesn't actually sigh. But there needs to be a way to describe what the Lord is doing and why he is doing it. In the Song of Moses, it says this, For the Lord will judge his people and have compassion, naham, on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is no one remaining, bond or free. The Lord had covenanted with Israel. He promised to protect them and deliver them forever. However, he also promised that they would be judged and punished for their actions. He would not simply let them go about disgracing his name. Therefore, a word is chosen to describe the action of the Lord that man can relate to, even if it cannot literally be applied to the Lord. If someone is given a giant boulder to break into little rocks because they got stationed at, uh, what's the name of it? Um, uh, what's the place where they send the prisoners in the Air Force? Fort Leavenworth, thank you. Okay, you're told that you've got to make a giant boulder into little rocks. The conversation after a few hours may go like this. You're really getting at that old boulder. Yes, he is feeling the pain of the sledgehammer today. The rock isn't feeling anything, but we are ascribing to it a personality and human characteristic that makes the action understandable. Likewise, the Lord is effecting his purposes upon Israel while both keeping them as his people and yet while accomplishing his promised judgments upon them at exactly the same time. As time in human history is moving forward, the Lord is working through Israel to teach the world a lesson about how he deals with humanity. 
in anticipation of the coming and returning of the Messiah. This lesson is being presented to us through the nation of Israel. As for the Lord's response to their groaning, it is, verse 18 continues, because of those who oppress them and harass them, from faces their oppressors and their pushers. Both words are derived from roots meaning to press. The first, lachatz, is quite often translated as oppress. The other is a new and rare word, dahak, found only here and in Joel chapter 2, where it says, Before them the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation, and they do not break ranks. They do not push dahak one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. The idea is that the enemy pushes into Israel to oppress them, and they push out on Israel, thrusting them away. The Lord allows this to correct them, but he also ends it to preserve them. In this, they are a microcosm of what happened at the flood of Noah. The Lord allowed the world to be destroyed because of their wickedness, and yet the Lord saved the world of man through the flood by preserving Noah. Everything that occurs is to uphold his word, first to the world of man, as stated in Genesis 3, verse 15, and then to the nation of Israel, as seen in Exodus 34, 10 through 28. Proper fellowship, service, and worship of the Lord is the aim of the redemptive narrative that is ultimately found in our relationship with Jesus, the promised one. Each step in scripture is to bring the world to this understanding. As for Israel and their immediate relationship with the Lord, the narrative continues saying, verse 19, and it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted. And it was in dying the judge, they turned back. What seems implied by this, and which is generally borne out by the rest of the book, is that the appointment of a judge was for his entire life. The judge was given to lead the people in the way of their fathers. They were to follow his leading. However, this was based on his leadership, not based on upon their allegiance to the Lord. As soon as the judge died, the people would turn back from the way which he had led. Verse 19 continues, and behaved more corruptly than their fathers. And corrupted from their fathers. The meaning of from is obtained from the context. In this case, it means more than their fathers. In other words, if their fathers were corrupt, they corrupted from, meaning more than them. Each judge would turn them back to the Lord's way, but then each time the judge died, the people would become increasingly more corrupt than their ancestors. Verse 19 continues, by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. To walk after God's other, to serve them, and to bow down to them. Instead of serving and bowing down to Jehovah, who delivered them and who kept his covenant promises with them, they would be faithfully unfaithful and turn to those gods that never did a thing for them. In this repetitive pattern, verse 19 continues, they did not cease from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. Lo hipilu mi ma'alehem darham hakasha. No cast them from their practices and from their way, the hard. The word kasha is translated in various ways, but it generally signifies hard or severe. In this case, one can look back to Exodus 32, verse 9, where it is used in conjunction with the neck. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. The people who were first called stiff-necked by the Lord at the time of Moses remained stubborn at the time of the judges. In fact, increasingly more so. Therefore, there would be consequences. The same terminology is used in these verses as was stated in the warning to the leaders of Israel in Joshua 23. Joshua 23:16. when you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and you have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. 
The words of Joshua are now beginning to come true. Who can find the end of God's grace? Who can say it goes this far, but no further does it go? Can you this attribute of God erase? The answer comes back as a resounding no. What God has done is because of who he is. When he grants salvation, it is a gift handed out to you. He will never take it back. He's not in that biz. His words stand firm because he is faithful and true. Praise be to God who does not forget his word, but sends it forth as a testimony of his mercy and grace. To the ends of the earth, his message is heard, and those who come to Jesus will see a smile upon his face. Our second thought today is, through them, I may test Israel. It's verses 20 through 23. Verse 20, then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Vayichar af Yehovah be Yisrael and burned nostril Yehovah in Israel. It is the natural and inevitable consequence of the people's stubborn rebellion. The Lord fumes at their conduct and determines to take corrective measures because of it. Verse 20 going on. And he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers. More precisely, it reads as stated in Joshua 23. And said, because which crossed over the nation, the this, my covenant, which I commanded their fathers. The nation of Israel is in a covenant relationship with the Lord. Their fathers had agreed to it with their mouths, and the Lord subsequently gave the commandments of the covenant to them. However, they crossed over that covenant as if they had removed themselves from it. He had spoken the words of the agreement, expecting compliance, not just from the fathers, but from all subsequent generations. We talked about that when we were going through the law. What was said at Sinai is binding upon the people of Israel forever until that covenant is annulled. Until they come to Jesus Christ, the punishments of the law are binding on them. Here the Lord notes Israel had crossed over, verse 20 continues, and has not heeded my voice. Velo shamu lekoli, and no listened to my voice. As before, the word listen means both to hear and to obey. They had failed to do so. As such, verse 21, I also will no longer drive out before them any. Gamani lo osif lehorish ish nipenehem. Also I, no will I add to dispossess man from their faces. Of this, Kyle incredibly says, the Lord said, because this people has transgressed my covenant, I also will no longer keep my covenant promise and will no more drive out any of the remaining Canaanites before them. That's Kyle, a scholar of the Bible, saying the Lord would no longer keep his covenant. Pay attention to what you're reading. There is never ever a time that the Lord will say this. I will no longer keep my covenant promises. It is impossible for him to violate his own word. Rather, this is exactly what he said to the people. He is simply fulfilling his covenant promises. Here's what he said. Numbers 33. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. He's not violating his covenant. He is upholding his covenant. Be careful what you read. Kyle is a great scholar. I cite him very often. He blew that one terribly. Terrible words to have recorded from a scholar of the Bible. When the people respond in obedience to the word of the Lord, he keeps his covenant promises to be with them, bless them, prosper them, and so on. When they fail to uphold their side of the covenant, he keeps his covenant promises to turn from them, to bring the curses of the covenant upon them, and to bring them to ruin. Think of Israel today. People say, oh, they're not the people of the Lord anymore. I don't know what Bible they are reading or what God they are serving to say that. They may be prospering right now, and they're not right with Jesus. So you could say, well, that's not, you know... Listen, the Bible says what's coming upon them because they have not yet accepted the Lord Jesus. There's a reason why they're in the land of Israel is because he is keeping his promises to them. He is keeping them 
even through the tribulation period when they're serving at an altar that was only a picture of Jesus Christ because he has covenanted with them. And someday they're going to wake up and they're going to say, yes, I get it. The nation as a whole I'm talking about. And when that happens, guess who he is going to return to? Them. This is the promise of the Lord because he is faithful even when they're unfaithful. It is Israel, not the Lord, who changes in relation to the covenant. To this day, much of the church has not figured this out. Just like national Israel, because of the people's conduct, the Lord would not drive out even a man from before them. Verse 21 continues, of the nations which Joshua left when he died. Rather, from the nations which Joshua left and he died. The meaning is derived from what was recorded in chapter 1. The land was sufficiently subdued by Joshua for the people to receive their inheritance. It was their job to continue to wipe out the inhabitants after assuming their land grants. When you read these translations and they don't include the, the article or the, you know, what is it, a verb, uh, what is a, and, that's a conjunction. When they don't include the conjunction, it gives you an entirely wrong reading of what's being said. There is no contradiction and there's nothing goofy about it. That and belongs there. However, they failed to do this, thus turning from the Lord. As such, the Lord says that he would no longer dispossess these people. Verse 22, so that through them I may test Israel. What do you think is coming in the future? Whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. The words are rather difficult, and so a paraphrase is needed to get what is being conveyed. However, even with paraphrasing the words, further explanation is needed. First, it doesn't say, I may test. The previous verses contain a quote from the Lord. However, these words probably are not a continuation of that. Instead, this appears to be an explanation from the chronicler as to what the quote means. Second, a verb is being used as a noun to describe the hoped-for obedience of the people. Literally, it reads, To end purpose, testing in them Israel, the keepers, they, weigh Jehovah, to walk in them, according to which listened their fathers, if not. By the Lord leaving the inhabitants in the land, Israel's being tested if they will be the keepers of the way, singular, of the Lord or not. That is then defined as walking in them, plural, meaning the commandments of the Lord, which are cumulatively seen as the way of the Lord, according to the manner which their fathers had walked. The words are admittedly a little bit confusing, but the intent is not impossible to determine despite a large amount of varying scholarly opinion. Testing Israel through the inhabitants is the stated purpose for the matter. However, the reason here is in relation to keeping the ways of the Lord. On the other hand, the same word, Nassah, is used again in Judges 3 verse 1, where on the surface, the test seems to be for an entirely different purpose. That will be seen in a minute. For now, the test is in relation to obedience. As such, it next says, verse 23, Therefore the Lord left those nations. Vayanach Yehovah et hagoim ha'eleh and rested Jehovah the nations, thee, these. The word translated as left is not the same as in verse 221. There it was the word azav, to leave, but in the sense of giving up on it. The Bible says a man shall leave his father and mother, uniting to his wife. He forsakes what is past, but here Joshua's death meant that he could no longer pursue them. Left. Here the word is yanach, to lay down or lay alone, and so on. It comes from the same root as nuach, meaning to rest. He is removing his hand from them at the time, not coming after them as before. Instead, they would be laid up within the land, but not necessarily permanently. It is the same word that will be used in Judges 3, verse 1. It says there, Now these are the nations which the Lord left, Yanach, that he might test Israel by them, that is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. Namely, five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites who dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamat. 
These nations have been laid up according to the purpose of the Lord. Verse 23 continues, without driving them out immediately. Lebilti horisham macher, to accept dispossessing them quickly. The word quickly explains the situation for now. Verse 221 seems to indicate the Lord would no longer drive out the nations at all. However, that was a reaction to the nation passing over the covenant. It is a state of disobedience. They would not be driven out. However, the words of chapter 3 show that Israel will be tested and taught to know war through them. As Israel turned to the Lord in faithfulness, it could be expected that the Lord would be with them to learn war and to drive out the inhabitants. It is the driving out of the inhabitants that proves obedience. Therefore, the word quickly allows for this. Finally, verse 23 finishes with, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. Velo natanam beyad Yehoshua, and no gave in hand Joshua. This tells us that withholding the inhabitants at the time of Joshua was purposeful. This goes back to what was explained in chapter 2. It was argued that the timing of those events was when Israel made a covenant with the inhabitants of Gibeah. I think that was two sermons ago. In doing so, they had not obeyed the voice of the Lord. They failed to check with him prior to making that covenant. An unfortunate part of going through this narrative is that many translators take the simple prefix meaning and, and they translate it as but, therefore, so, then, when, nevertheless, and so on. Or in some cases, you saw they don't even translate it. In doing this, they insert their presuppositions into the text. As such, it makes it much harder to determine what is actually going on. For example, these paragraphs are not necessarily chronological. But by saying then, the reader assumes that they are. In saying so, or nevertheless, it makes it seem like one thing is a consequence of the other. This may not be the case at all. Looking at these verses word by word helps open up what is going on. Now, I could be wrong about the placement of Joshua and the treaty with Gibeon being tied into these verses in Judges that we looked at, I guess it was last week, but those things happened at some point during the time of Joshua. As nothing else in the book of Joshua even hints at the failings of the people, apart from the account of Ahan, it is reasonable and even likely as a conclusion that the assumption is correct. This necessary connection was left out of the book of Joshua to highlight him as a type of Christ. We saw that last week. On the other hand, or maybe two weeks ago, I, I, just, I write these things and I'm not really paying attention to the past sermons, but it's something that we saw. On the other hand, including that account now is given to highlight the tender mercy of the Lord in relation to the stubborn nature of Israel. We cannot learn the lesson of the law it being a tutor to lead us to our need for Jesus, unless we understand how the failures of Israel demonstrate this. We have seen that in the first two chapters of Judges. That will continue in a new way now that we have crossed this bridge of chapter 2. It is exciting to think of what lies ahead in the rest of the book, but that doesn't compare in the slightest to what lies ahead for those who have called on Jesus. He is the subject of the Bible. He is the object of our affections. He is the way to be reconciled to God. Jesus is the point and the purpose of everything that we encounter in this wonderful word. That may not be seen explicitly in passages such as the one today, but it is there nonetheless. Everything is leading us to a greater understanding of our need for him. So be contemplative as you read the word. Consider what it says. Mull over what God is telling you about his son. And be sure to thank him often for his patience with you, as you, like Israel, fail him from time to time. Your trusting in and obedience to the Lord after your salvation is not unlike Israel's. The Lord has left us in the land that has been conquered, but in which there are still enemies, spiritual enemies, that will come against us. When we follow the Lord and his word, they are defeated. When we don't, they are not. We talked about that in the projects yesterday. Chris and I went into one part of the projects and we were talking to somebody and he's saying, I love the Lord and are you reading the word? No. Well, then how do you know that you're conquering anything around you? Your life is miserable. You're having difficulties. It's because you're not able to come against the enemies that are coming against you because you don't know 
what is involved in the process. But God tells us in the word. And so when we know the word, we can say, I understand that this is an attack and I can let this go or I can take this angle or that angle. You can't do it unless you know what God is doing with you and through you in this world. We are learning war through our testing in this land. The land of Israel belonged to Israel. Heaven belongs to believers in Christ. But until the consummation of the redemptive plans of God, we remain in our battles, awaiting the culmination of what God has ultimately prepared for us. Israel in the millennium and the church in glory. Like Israel, the Lord will never leave you. He has covenanted with you through the cross, and he will never fail to uphold his side of that deal. Hold fast to this wonderful news. God in Christ has brought us back to himself, and that comes with a guarantee. Let us continue in the battle we face until that day is consummated. Look at what's going on in the world right now and compare it to what we've been talking about in this sermon. Everything that he said to Israel then applies to Israel to this day. Everything. Because he covenanted with them. They're not right with him. These people weren't right with him. And so what did the Lord say? I'm going to let these people stay in the land and afflict you. And there's a purpose for it. And then he says in chapter 3, that you may learn war. You may learn how to defeat the enemy. Well, they're going to find out in the future that the enemy they're facing right now isn't really the enemy that they need to conquer. The enemy that they're really facing is the devil. The lies of the devil working through the law in order to keep them away from the Lord Jesus. They got to go through these battles, these physical battles to remain a people. The Lord designed that. He gave them the ability. He gave them the protection of the United States of America. He gave them all of the things that they have right now to remain a people because he covenanted with them. I have never said that Israel is right with the Lord because they are not. The Bible tells us that. Jesus is the answer to the problem. They didn't come to Jesus. But I have said that the Lord has covenanted with them. And therefore, he will never leave that group of people. They will be chastised. They will be punished. They will have troubles in their existence until the day that they call on Jesus. And that's the purpose of it, because he has covenanted with them. And now that you understand that, now that you see what God is doing with Israel in the world right now, think of yourself when you fall away from him. He's covenanted with you. He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross. Christ's blood was shed. You accepted the terms of that covenant. I, by faith, receive what Jesus Christ did, right? Now, God has the onus to keep his side of the covenant. You may not keep it, but he will never forsake it. I wish people could get this because if they could, they wouldn't be living lives saying, oh, what if I've lost my salvation? Oh, my pastor says if I don't give him money, blah, blah, blah. Or if I don't do this, blah, blah, blah. If they just knew the grace of God in Jesus Christ and the high cost of the blood of Christ, they would understand that their sin is not greater than his grace. It is not. And it's all pictured in the sermon that we looked at today. All of it. We have to look at Israel as a microcosm of you and you and you and you. We are going to suffer when we don't live for the Lord, but the Lord will never, ever forsake us. Thank God for God's faithfulness to Israel, because if he ever broke his covenant with them, we might as well just walk away from our faith today. It will never happen. Our closing verse comes from Psalm 106. They did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. We can do the same thing in our own walk. We can be Israel. Don't be Israel. Well, be Israel who will call on Jesus someday. How's that? And the only way you're ever going to be reconciled to God is by doing just that. Believe the simple gospel. He sent his son into the world to live the life you can't live. His son lived that life. His son gave up his life in exchange for your sins. That is the gospel. And to prove it, he came out of the grave on the third day, according to scripture. Believe that and you will be saved. Don't believe it. That's your choice. Totally your choice. But I would suggest that you believe it. There's no other reconciliation possible except through the blood of Jesus Christ. Next week is Judges 3, 1 through 11. It's really swell. He got the approval nudge. It's entitled Othniel. 
Israel's first judge. That'll be our eighth judge's sermon. And you know what I get to do tomorrow? I told Sergio, I get to start typing Judges chapter 6. What a marvelous passage. Gideon. Gideon gets his commission. I'm going to tell you what, there is so much treasure, even without studying it yet and getting all that we can about the typology and all of the great things that Gideon did. There is just wonderful stuff in there. I've taught it in several Bible classes, and every time I do, people just say, oh my goodness. It just unleashes a ton of theology in just a couple of verses. It's amazing. So get ready for Judges 6 sermons. I hope they're good, but I know that what is in there is good. So I hope that I can at least do, present something that's, you know, competent for you. I just pray that's the case. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who judges his people according to their deeds. So follow him, live for him, and trust him. And he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? All right. Uh, we got something special today. We got some folks that came down from Ohio. Okay? They're here visiting, and uh, uh, they have gotten in the habit of sending me each year. Oh, I, the first time I ever had this was, it was at that Golden Something restaurant, wasn't it? Uh, can't remember it. It's the oldest restaurant in all of Ohio. Golden Lamb. And so um, uh, Chuck and Karen sent me some, as he did last year and maybe even the year before. It's been three years, I think. So, yeah, okay. And uh, it's just amazing. I, I know that you've all had this. I had never had it. You're all from up north. I'm not. I'm from here. They don't have this stuff here. Lind Fruit Farm established 1919 homemade apple butter. Oh, Oh, I'm just drooling thinking about it. So here we go. If you get this question, then it won't be easy. I promise you that. Shocking. You're going to have to know. You're going to have to know a verse. Okay. I don't want to know what the, you know, the name of this guy is. I want you to finish this verse. Jeremiah 8, verse 20. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. That's close enough where I'm going to give it to you. It's not correct, but it is close enough. I'll let you decide. I'll let you decide. And we are not saved. Is that close enough? Yes. Okay. Burke, you got it. And we are not saved. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. Now, the reason why I do this is because if you were in Jeremiah in the past week and you read that, you would remember it. And I like to use the example of my brother one time sitting right there. And I asked a question I didn't think anybody was going to get. And he said, right off, it, that quick. And I said, how did you know that? He said, I read that yesterday. That's why I want you to do this. Read your Bible. Read your Bible because you can't know God unless you know Jesus Christ. It's not possible. And you cannot know Jesus Christ at all without reading this word. Read your Bible, and then you might get some apple butter. I got a couple more of them. I got a couple of uh, race cars. Man, we're filled up with stuff. Get ready. Race car. Okay, here we go. The Lord was moved to pity. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them in every town, yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods, and to them bowed down. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked, so we know, in obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them in country and city, out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for the Lord was moved to pity. By their groaning because of those who oppressed them, and harassed them in every city, even Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when the judge was dead, that they reverted and more corruptly behaved than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them for other gods they slaved. They did not cease from their own doings from day to day, nor from their stubborn way. Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers and has not heeded my voice as I addressed I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations, so to you I tell, which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord, giving them a shot to walk in them as their fathers kept them, or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations, so we understand 
without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into Joshua's hand. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lesson of Israel. We thank you for the lesson of the law. And we thank you for Jesus, who is the greater Israel in the fulfillment of that law. Thank you for what he has done where they could not do it. You sent your son into the world to do it for them. And Lord, we lift them up today. There are people that are hemmed in and oppressed and that are facing real disaster as they take retribution against those who came against them. And uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, people will see your hand upon them, not for their sake, but for your sake, so that they will recognize that you are the covenant-keeping God. Even when a nation is unfaithful and disobedient, you are willing to keep your covenant. And someday they're going to call out to you, and they're going to receive Jesus Christ. And when that happens, the nation will be saved, and it will be an everlasting salvation. Thank you for that promise that we have. May you be glorified through what happens in the days ahead, and may you be shown as the God of the Bible, who is the God of Israel. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Forgive us of our sins. We take the communion in a moment to do that with you, to commune and to fellowship with you until the day that you return again. And may that day be soon. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, Sergio wasn't here when I read it, but I read the AI description of the superior word, and they all loved it. I mean, it was surprising. It was surprising that a computer wrote that and then he did one on me, too. He, You sent me one on me. You said, do a search on Charlie, and how do you describe him? And I wasn't going to read that. It was got it all wrong, I can tell you that. <laughs> but that's out there, so. Um, uh, yeah, the barefoot preacher. Now, I'd agree with that one. I'd read you that. But one of, Oh, I see. There's two of them. Anyway, if you haven't got one of these, these are from Don and Jody in Israel. They're bookmarked, so got a couple left. Just grab one on the way by. And uh, when they were in Israel just a couple weeks ago.